Well, thank you again. And uh, hey, just at our housekeeping note, um, Jeff Amon's group that meets on Wednesday is going to meet on Tuesday this week. So anyway, if you're part of the Romans study, if you just go on Tuesday as opposed to Wednesday. And um, as, uh, as we've been continuing on in the book of John, we started John earlier this year. In case you're visiting with us, we walk through a book of the Bible verse by verse, and that's just how we, we preach here. And so uh, if you would go with me to the book of John chapter 18, and we are going to carry through halfway of 19 uh, today. And what we're going to be doing is looking at some verses that are, um, these are very historical verses. So two, two groups in here, those who love history and those who despise it, you know. And so when you mention historically looking at something, you could be thinking, oh boy, I was really kind of, you know, you, you kind of, some of you kind of hunger and love those those things that are, uh, um, that are life application verses. There's still some incredible life application here. <laughs> but for history geeks like some of us, you know, Joe, I know you, you love history as much as I do. You look at this and you, it, what it draws me to history is why people do certain things. You know, I'm not into dates and numbers. I go to a battlefield and I start getting bored and people say, well, 17, 17 or 18, whatever. No, I really enjoy hearing about why people did what they did. Why did they fight? Why did they make a stand? Why did they do these things? And so as we're reading this, go into this with a fresh perspective as to why certain people were going to do certain things. In this particular case, um, there's a few different characters that are happening around Jesus here. And so um, we're going to walk into this. And again, as we do, as we go into this, open your mind to what it's looking like. So imagine what this scene looks like. Imagine the mob that is going to be there. Imagine, if you could, the mass confusion that's going on. So all those things. So, so try to enlighten the mind as to thinking, man, you know, using your creativity, what does this look like? So um, here we are in John chapter 18, uh, verse 28. <clears throat> it says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. It's interesting when you look at this. By the way, if it looks a little ambiguous, it was early morning. It's actually, we believe it to be around 6 in the morning. This story that we're going to cover is going to go all the way through midnight. This is one incredibly long day. No one, it could have been longer for nobody other than, than, than Jesus and what he went through. So again, starting at 6 a.m., the Jews have arrested, they have arrested uh, Jesus. And so whenever you hear the word the Jews, I think it's critical to understand, John, when he says the Jews, is referring directly to the antagonistic Jewish leadership that is pursuing Jesus. So whenever you hear the Jews, just understand what that is. The Jews have been pursuing Jesus and they've arrested him in the garden. He's been brought into this place, um, uh, which is gut, the, the, the it's kind of like, um, some of your Bibles may say praetorium on it. It's the governor's house, the governor's headquarters. This is not where Pilate lived all the time. He lived in a place just outside of Jerusalem called Caesarea. Those of you who know scripture would know Paul would be later exiled, or he would be later imprisoned in a palace in Caesarea. Caesarea was really where the Romans viewed the capital of the region. Named after Caesar. It's kind of a big deal. Jerusalem, well, that was the religious capital. 
And so Pilate, as all his predecessors, would stay in Caesarea, and then during huge Jewish feasts and festivals, they would move into Jerusalem, and they would occupy this area. And so they would occupy this area. Why? What would happen? Why would people, why would Roman governors and Pilate, or, or you know, why would Pilate as a Roman governor, why would these people come down and move into this place during a Jewish festival. It's important to understand, as some of you here with us earlier on, you remember when the Jews were looking for a Messiah, they were looking for a national leader. They were very nationalistic. They were not picturing a Messiah like Jesus. They wanted someone to overthrow the Roman government. So whenever you would have these huge Jewish feasts and these huge Jewish, Jewish holidays, what would happen? The Roman garrison would go from 200 to 1,000 more than likely. And so they would have about 1,000 men. That's not counting cavalry. And you would also have the Roman government would move into Jerusalem. And so this is what's happening. And the reason I highlight certain verses is because some of them are easy to explain. And then some of them I highlight for a reason of you have to scratch your head and wonder, what is going on here? And whenever I, I have a Bible that some of us have Bibles you don't, maybe you don't write on, you don't write in. And then this, uh, some of us, like I have one that I circle and ask questions. And, and this would be one that I would look at and I would see incredible irony. I would see hypocrisy. Think about this. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so they would not be defiled. But why? So they could eat the Passover. These are Jewish leaders who would not go into this place. They would go in at other times of the year, but not during Passover. Why? Because it was occupied by Gentiles, non-Jews. And so as you're thinking, think about this. You're a religious leader of the day. You wouldn't dare step under the shelter to be around a Gentile. But yet, you don't mind the fact that you're taking a man to his ultimate death, to murder him. So it's interesting. I would never be defiled by going under that roof. But yet, I'll break a major commandment and have somebody murdered. There was no thought of that. So again, as you read through these things, and John is writing these things... um, He's writing this with a knowledge of Jewish customs. And though, you know, they wouldn't go in there because they'd be defiled. But at the same time, think of, think of the hypocrisy. So, again, it's around 6 a.m. Look with me at verse 29. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? Again, he walks out to engage them. The crowd we know to be in the thousands. It's all men, by the way. Led at the front by the high ruling council. So, this is a very passionate crowd. Verse 30. They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Now, this this starts a whole new phase against Jesus. Up to this point, anybody that tried to arrest Jesus was a temple guard. Temple guards were usually brutes that were hired by the church to go out and intimidate families to make sure they paid their temple taxes. If you didn't pay your temple tax to belong to a certain temple, or you were late in paying that tax, the temple guards were sent out to rough you up. They would, they would be the ones knocking on your door. These men would, uh, they, they were, um, I'm sure in some of the larger temples, yeah, okay, maybe you, I don't want to throw the whole class of them under the bus, but maybe some were, were men who would adhere it to religious tradition. But for the most part, these were ruffians. And so the Romans had no interest in Jesus. They had no interest at all. Jews have their matters. Let the Jews have their matters. But in this particular case, now he is under, uh, he is under the roof of a Roman governor. 
How did it come to that? We don't know if it was Caiaphas. We don't know if it was Judas. But somebody interacted with the Roman government and hired out, or, or really gave over the fact that we need to arrest this man. And I don't know if they did it this way. So my thinking that they did it this way was that it's Passover. You know everybody's going to be whipped up into a militaristic, nationalistic frenzy. And if you don't get this guy under the roof of of Roman protection and Roman law to be executed under a Roman court, there's going to be a massive riot here and you're going to have problems on your hands. Probably the reason. So as a matter of fact, if you look back in in, uh, the same chapter, 18, verse 3, look what it says here. It says, this is when they arrested Jesus. I don't know if you ever caught this or not. So Judas, having procured, here it is, a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Having procured a band of soldiers, this is directly in reference to Roman soldiers. It's not, it's not a certain number that we know, but we know the number to be in the hundreds of Roman soldiers that were summoned in that arrest party. They were there acting in support. They were a support battalion for the arresting party of temple guards and that kind of thing. So here you can start to see the phase of Roman interaction with Jesus has begun. Now, now you're going to have Roman civil court come into play. And so Pilate is, he doesn't want to deal with this. He doesn't want to deal with Jewish matters anyway. Much less he wasn't, doesn't want to deal with this. So he starts a whole new trial. The Jews don't like this. The Jews think <clears throat> he's been in the religious courts back and forth. Here he is. Take him. Execute him. Pilate looks at him and says, what am I to do with him? What am I going to do with this man? Pilate's wife had had a terrible dream. She, had a, she said, this man, there's nothing to matter with this man. We shouldn't be dealing with this man. This man something's happening here. Jesus looks at this and he says, um, um, I'm sorry, Pilate looks at this Jesus and he says, what do I do with him? And so he starts a whole new trial. The Jews are upset about this. And so look at verse uh, 31. Actually, verse 30. Go back to verse 30. So they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So again, this starts the, the, the trial. Verse 31, Pilate said to them, take him yourselves. Judge him by your own law. And then the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Hmm. Now think about this. They tried to kill Jesus numerous times. But yet they're saying it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. There is a there is a huge underswelling of manipulation to try to get Jesus on the Roman execution list. Jews, they could execute people, but they would do so by stoning them. And the only way you were stoned to death would be Two predominant ways. Number one, if you were in a, caught in adultery. And by the way, that was always done to women. The, the man, the male adulterer, he was never, he was never stoned to death. The woman, poor thing, she was taken out and stoned to death. Another reason you were stoned to death was if you ever, ever put yourself on the level of being God. If you ever said, "Yeah, you know, I, I am, I'm just like God," if you, you're going to be stoned to death. Which is interesting. Now, when you think about, the, remember the, the adulterous woman who was about to be stoned to death by the Jewish leaders and Jesus walks up and says you without you without the first sin cast the stone you without any sin cast the first stone well he it was brilliant because had any 
Pharisee or any priest picked up a stone indicating they were without sin and thrown at the lady, guess what the other guys would have been compelled to do? Stone him to death. So it was a remarkable, a remarkable exchange. So they were not allowed to execute people on civil or criminal matters. You could not. They had to be handed over to the Romans. And so in this time, they, could, they thought it was just like Jesus was outwitting them. They could not understand the power of the Holy Spirit. So every time they tried to, tried to get Jesus and he kept getting away, they're like, well, finally, let's involve the Romans. He can't outrun them. Remember, every time they tried to arrest him, Jesus would simply look at him and say, now's not the time. He would slip away or literally look at a temple guard and say, it's not my time. Go away. And they would. So here he is. The, Jesus is in this palace. <clears throat> Pilate is outside trying to reason with them because he doesn't want to deal with this. And they say, you know, it's not lawful. We can't put him to death. By the way, the Jews were very jealous of the fact that the Romans took away the, the right of execution, the writ of execution from their culture. The Jews lost a lot of control and a lot of power. So don't miss this next point, but verse 32. This was a takeaway verse, by the way. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus, in numerous scripture, constantly said, I am going to be lifted up. Crucifixion was the only mean, Rome was the only uh, government and only culture to use crucifixion as a means of execution. So it's one thing to say, wow, you know, think about this. Jesus said, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to control who's going to, who's going to appear to kill me. I'm going to show it, that this is going to be fulfilled. But you know what's crazy is you go back and think about this. There were believed to have been at this time around 30,000 crucifixions up to this point historically. 30,000. If you go back in, in Scripture go back into the Old Testament, jump back a thousand years, and they are writing and describing Jesus' death by a method not yet known or even grasped. That's a powerful thought to think about. At no point, I mean the Romans were not around in the writing of the Old Testament in those regions. They were not there. They were not present. So you're describing a method of death that nobody even imagined. And so at this point, 30,000 something crucifixions. Again, you think about how painful this is. The word excruciating, literally meaning out of the cross, came from that method of execution. And so here, the Jews are saying, we're going to kill him. The Romans are saying, we're going to have to do something. But the whole timeline is executed by who? Jesus. He is going to determine his method of death. Jesus is not caught by surprise. He's prophesied this. Verse 33. So Pilate, now here, here we're going to concentrate on Pilate. Watch this now. I'm not defending this man, nor am I vilifying him. We're defining what's happening here. This is interesting. Again, when you're reading scripture, ask yourself these kind of questions. Watch what's going on. Watch the, 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 the pickle that Pilate is in, in this whole matter. Pilate, verse 33, entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this 
of your own accord, or did others say this, say it to you about me? Okay, I don't know if you caught this formula or not. Jesus answers questions with questions all the time. Kind of joked with you one time. I asked a rabbi that, oh, why do you know, like, you know, or, you know, and, and so why do, why do you think Jesus answered questions with questions? He said, "What's the matter with that?" You know. So anyway, <laughs> but you think about you think about the the thought that Jesus is interacting with this Roman governor the same way he did with a with a demonic possessed person by engaging with them. He acted with him the same way he would talking to a believer who's inquiring. Jesus goes that deep. Here is a man that supposedly has all the control to let him go and Jesus engages with him. He says, you asked that I'm king of the Jews. Are you asking me that? Or did someone put you up to that? And why would Pilate ask it? Why would Pilate go in and say, are you king of the Jews? He's saying this, by the way, sarcastically. You can see the inflection in which he's talking, in which in, in, in the style in which it's being written. He's, are, are you the king of the Jews? I mean, look at you. Feet, filthy, tattered clothes, hair, matty. And think, what? Are you really the king of the Jews? He said, so again he says, do you say this or does somebody else put you up to it? Verse 35. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests that deliver you over to me, what have you done? I mean, this is a crazy mob outside. And it's getting crazier as the day goes on. I have no idea where I am. I lost myself. There's verse 35. Where am I? Where am I? Okay. Um, he says, uh, so Pilate answers back. He says, what, what, what am I, a Jew? In verse 36, Jesus answers. Uh, by the way, it's a powerful answer. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. That I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. He gave him a very emphatic, straightforward answer and cleared everything up. But keep in mind, if you're reading this as a believer, it makes total sense. You're like, man, I mean, you know the story. This is not your kingdom. I mean, at, th- at this point, you can imagine what we call the, the abeyance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit pulling back and not moving in to defend Jesus and protect. The powerful God, his Father, said not coming in to do something. This is... This is um, T.W. Hunt wrote something called The Mind of Christ. I think it was T.W. Hunt that wrote that. And he wrote in there about the power of the Holy, the Trinity moving together. But at this point, two of the factors, two, the Holy Spirit and, and the Father, are completely withholding. And Jesus is in this place. Keep in mind, Jesus in total control. And they say, are you a king? And Jesus refers to, this is not my kingdom. I mean, he could have arrogantly said, are you kidding? My kingdom? This? You? As a governor, those lunatics outside trying to throw rocks at me? Me who could summon angels? No. Very humbly says, this is my kingdom. Verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world. 
to bear truth, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, the conversation has gone from sarcasm to true dialogue. And so this moment, it's like, uh, he's looking at me and says, well, what, what do you, you said you're not king of the Jews. What is this kingdom you're speaking of? You, you mean to tell me you're a king? And I'll get into that later, why Pilate, I believe, is a little, starting to get a little impressed here about what's happening. He says, so you're a king. Jesus says, if you knew truth, you would know what I'm talking about. Those who know truth know what I'm talking about. Pilate's about to, his rebuttal here, look at me in verse 38. Pilate says to him, here it is, what is truth? What is it? After he'd said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Now stop right here. Let's dissect these a little bit more. First, the area of truth. That is being attacked. Sometimes we think, you know, when you watch the news, it's kind of being attacked now. What does the truth mean? I mean, what does it mean? It's relative, right? I mean, that's relativism, I thought, was really reached its peak 15 years ago when it just really reached into Christianity, saying you really can't view the Bible in that way because there's other different systems of truth. And then you start to see it move into everything from, well, the person is gender association. Well, this person says they're this, but they can identify. Or now you look at what's really wrong here. If it's not, you know, what kind of, what kind of um, uh, reasoning was behind someone committing murder? That you start to look at this and you start to get confused. You start to sit there and think. Well, how is it that we've gone to a society that there's no more standard of truth? Well, it's actually not a new phenomenon. You can see it's right here. 2,000 years ago, he looks at him and says, what is truth? You have to, why would make a man ask that question? Probably a person who's seen a lot. Don't forget that this man is serving in an area where he doesn't want to serve. You are, you are the status of a Roman governor and you're stuck in an arid place that can hardly grow anything other than figs and olives and you're stuck with the people who hate you. He's been jaded. He's been jerked around by his own Roman system. Who knows what his family life is like? Who knows what kind of politics are going on in the, Ro- in the Roman courts? And he looks at me and says, Truth? What is truth? Christians can be that way. You can get so jaded if you're not careful that when somebody says, oh man, you know, I just I imagine what you, the joy fills your heart when you go to church. You're like, church, what is church? What does it mean anymore? Because what happens, you just don't, you, don't, you aren't born in that. And what happens, it just kind of comes over time where you're just wounded and you're hurt and you're disillusioned and you're disappointed. Don't miss when Pilate is saying, what is this truth? And so he goes back outside and he yells out to the people. Keep in mind, this crowd has gotten big. It's getting hot. It's no longer six in the morning. There's been incredible long dialogue. We know that in here. He calls the people out. They get quiet. And he says to them, I can, I can release to you the king of the Jews. I give you, I give you this man back. Take him. As a matter of fact... I want you to take him 
And I want to remind you that it's Passover and you can ask for the release of anyone. Anyone you want. Now keep in mind, the jails are full of convicts. They're full of political prisoners. Heroes. To the Jews. Who do they yell out for? But Barabbas. Barabbas, Barabbas. They want, they want this. Give us this man. No doubt they had already conspired because they just yelled his name in unison. They wanted this particular man. And don't miss it when it says Barabbas was a robber. This is one of those moments where I'm glad, uh, you know, I, I know people that know Hebrew and Greek and can read those kind of books. When you read that word robber is not a small petty thief. He's somebody that would do this. He was somebody that would go into an area and he would absolutely pillage. He would kill. He would do whatever he could to steal. And do, if that meant killing, and by the way, we would lead, I think it's in Mark fifteen seven. he actually did kill many people. And so this man was a violent, maniacal killer. And they start yelling out his name, Barabbas, 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 bring us this man. Why him? Why would you do that? Again, don't ignore the passion. Some of you have been to Israel, right? Some of you have been there. there is an or- Some of you have grown up near Orthodox Jewish areas. If you were to turn on a bus, I've talked to people who have turned on a bus inadvertently into a Jewish area, or ultra-Orthodox ultra Jewish area, on the Sabbath, and people come outside with books, rocks, anything they've got, throwing them at the bus, get out of here. That kind of passion. If you get that kind of passion in the year 2018, imagine what you're getting in this particular place. When you were talking about a man who's put himself on the line of being the king of the Jews and on the same line of being, of being God. Imagine the reaction that's going on. These men, the high court, the priests are in the front. They're screaming. They're yelling. They're angry. This scene is getting out of control. Pilate is sitting there thinking, I just want him to leave. I just want him to go out. John 19. Jesus is brought back in. And what's about to happen is going to sound confusing. Keep in mind, Pilate has said, take your man. Just take him. Just take this man. Take him out of here. Pilate has engaged in conversation with Jesus. Now verse 1 of chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate this time said, What does he say? Behold the man. There's no more behold the king. Jesus has been beaten to the point of be, almost being unrecognized. Don't miss the point. When he's crowned with these thorns, these are from a date palm. These thorns can go up to 12 inches in length. They would be twisted together in a sense of a crown, and then they would be twisted onto his head. They weren't just simply embedded on it in, a, in a fashion that was just horizontal. They were moved into his head as if to... You, to hardly move him. He was not flogged with a simple whip, if that wouldn't be bad enough. 
It would take a small club, the club which could be used to to hit and beat on people, but it would also have a leather strap and attached to that would be fragments of bones and metal. I'm not trying to say this for for the sense of gruesome description, but to give you a picture, an explanation of what he went through. So Jesus is... He's he's having these these being flogged again. The instruments would have been designed to rip flesh off the body. His eyes would have been swollen shut, blood completely coming down and 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 taking over his whole body. And he's walked out and he's pushed out on on outside the praetorium, outside of this entrance, right outside this judgment seat where there would be like a, a a piece of granite where the Roman governor would issue a decree, and then they yell out. And Pilate says, here, behold the man. Why would Pilate do this? He just had a conversation with Jesus. The the conversation seemed to be going somewhere. And then now Jesus uh, is brought out there. He is no longer behold the king, behold the man. You have to start wondering, what is he doing here? Why is he presenting Jesus as, behold, the man, no longer the king? Basically saying, you know, you, you, you said he was the, calling himself the king. Look, he's helpless. You think this is a threat? Look, he's mangled flesh, man. What do you think? There's nothing you can... He's not a threat. Take him. What does the crowd do? Verse 6. The chief priests and officers saw him. They cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. For I find no guilt in him. Stop right here. This, if this doesn't catch you right here and think, man, this is strange. Remember, who crucifies? The Jews or the Romans? The Romans. Are the Jews even allowed to execute anybody in a civil matter? No. Pilate, in such a frustration, says, then you go ahead, you crucify him. You nail him to a cross. Make up your cross. Well, I know that's not what you do, but you do it. You kill him. I won't even, I'll look the other way. This is the frustration that's going on between an angry, screaming crowd of thousands of people and what Pilate's going through. I say, crucify him, crucify him. Verse 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And you need to execute that law. Now watch this next verse. When Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. What does that mean? Why would he say this? I mean, why, why would John recognize that Pilate now is probably overcome with this fear? Why would Pilate, who's, by the way, he's not a Jew, he's not a Jew, doesn't care about Jews, obviously Jesus is not a threat in flesh to him, why does he care? Why was he even more afraid? Because Greco-Roman rulers and the ruling society today were uber-superstitious. They were so superstitious that if he thought for a moment he was one of what they called divine men, divine men would execute curses and calamities on you, they believed. And at this point, Pilate is overrun with fear to think, what have I done? Could this man be one of those people, one of those men that could do something to me? And so, verse 9, he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where 
are you from? Are you catching the desperation that's going on with Pilate? Pilate is now, he's basically saying, here, take him. I mean, let him go. Let, let, him, let him go. What has he done? Then the crowd reacts. The mob breaks out into an angrier mob. He takes them in. They flog them. And why did he flog them? Two particular thoughts. Number one, before you execute someone, you dehumanize them and you put their body into shock as best you can so they don't resist and they're an easier target to kill. Or it could have been, bear with me on this one, think about this, it's like, it's like getting a weather forecast, by the way. You get a hundred forecasts, you're going to give you... Think about this one. Could it be that Pilate did this? Remember when he brought him out and said, here's the man? Take him. Could he have done this as a way to appease the Jews so they wouldn't go through with the execution? It could be. And so he brings him out and says, here he is. Well, at this moment, oh, Jesus says he's a, he's, a, he's a son of God. At this moment, fear overcomes Pilate. He bursts back in. He looks at Jesus. Jesus is sitting there in a pile of blood. I mean, he, he can't even imagine the form. And he says to him, where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, do you won't speak to me? Do you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me. Okay, stop. I want you to picture, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to beat this up too much, but this is not Jesus in a Preston linen outfit. This is not him with flowing hair. This is, not, this is Jesus completely riddled physically. Almost unrecognizable giving this answer. Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. A couple thoughts here. Jesus, in the discussion with Pilate, has gotten deep. They talked about truth. They talked about different things. And he said, the one who brought me in here is a greater sinner than you. Who's he talking about? Who's the who? Could be three things. Plural. Could be those who brought me in. Could be Caiaphas. Could be Judas. At any case, they're all the same. Anybody who brought him in. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. But everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. By the way, keep in mind, we start at 6 a.m. We're getting close to midnight. It's a long day. It's a long mob. The mob is angry. And they know something. They know that Pilate is walking on thin ice. Pilate has a bad reputation in Rome. Tiberius Caesar does not like Pilate. Pilate's been assigned to this Roman outpost in the middle of Israel. And by the way, has had several insurrections. And the Jews know that Rome is looking at Pilate and they say, if you have one more miss up, one more screw up, you're coming back. And you're not going to come back in a victory parade. And the Jews know it. So the Jews start Almost mockingly. Can you imagine the arrogance of this? He goes, uh, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself is a king of, of Caesar. It doesn't stop there. So what happens verse 13? So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, 
sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabatha. Now is the day of preparation of the Passover. It is about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. Watch watch this now. Pilate is now on the seat. You only sit on that seat to execute judgment. Jesus is in physical form about as about as tormented and physically abused as anybody could be. And what, what happens? Verse 14, 15. They cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? Watch the arrogance of the Jewish crowd. The mob. The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. What? Don't you remember these are the sa- this was the same group that by the way approached Jesus and said, "Should we pay our taxes or not?" And Jesus said, "Whose face is on that coin? Caesar's." And then you give it to Caesar. These are the- this is the same crowd that would walk up to him and say, "No, we're waiting for for deliverance from the Roman government." But what do they say here? We have no friend but Caesar's. And what happens? Verse 16. So he delivered him over to be crucified. When you start looking and asking yourself uh, different questions, Shale and I were talking in between services about, you know, we always discuss different things. And he, he brought somebody because why would, why would Barabbas be in? Why would he be in the picture? It could have been anybody released. But you think of the most vile, you think of the most vile person. The, the person that would, that would be probably the worst example of humanity, it would be a Barabbas. A killer of many people. A violent killer. Somebody who ran around and just, um, and did terrible things. Why would this man be released? As Jesus is being led away to be crucified, here comes the most vile person, the murderer, a killer, somebody who doesn't deserve to, to even be in a jail cell. It, it, and now doesn't deserve to be living in amongst the people. He's released. It's a picture, isn't it? It's a picture that, that the love that Jesus showed still shows now. The love that Jesus willingly Walked out. It wasn't the, keep in mind, it wasn't the Romans who killed him. It wasn't the Jews who killed him. It was Jesus who allowed his life to be taken out of his body. Correct? And so it wasn't Barabbas that somehow slipped to the cracks and, oh man, I wonder, Jesus thinking, well, I didn't expect that one. Jesus knew the vile nature of Barabbas. Jesus knew that Barabbas would be the one that would be asked for by the people to be released. And Jesus in his love still walked that path to the cross. And he still does. He still shows you that. You know, I mentioned with you a couple weeks ago, actually three weeks ago, a story that I, I never, I didn't finish for a reason. I think I, think I should finish it for you. I, um, in case you weren't here, I talked about, um, I told you about I was invited by USF 15 years ago to speak at a, at a social um, some kind of a class, some kind of social studies class. And it was on um, study of different 
religions as well they were going through and then they brought me in and it was like a 10 minute you know that's my phone going off i feel so bad i'm sitting here going how do i quite i don't know what sinner out there is texting me during church i'm the whole time i'm like whose phone i'm like it's my phone but uh anyway sorry Shale, I'll get back with you. But uh, <laughs> no, but anyway, I but I, I I got invited to go speak, and so I go in there and and I spoke, and I I was telling you guys earlier that it was a his professor was just really militant against anything Christian deal with Christianity, and so they're all different speakers, and it was like resounding applause and laughter, and, was, and I'm like just a wreck. I'm like, what am I gonna say? I'm gonna like, you know bomb for all of Christianity for years to come I have ruined you know ruined it and so I got up there and I just I remember what I said was very concise I mean it was you can call it off the cuff you can call it spirit led but I remember getting up there and saying you know God loves you and I just went for a while I said God loves you and I said it again and I closed out with and he's in right now this very moment, God is pursuing you. And that was it. I think what I, what I didn't share was that professor who was very quick to tell me about her, her girlfriend who was going to be her wife, who was one who told me she didn't believe, or someone who told me she, would never, she couldn't believe in institutional religion, much less Christianity would have me back three years running. And I would meet her at Panera Bread to talk about the places she was, the dark places she was in. The reality is, what does truth look like? Truth looks like love that still pursues you to a point of unbelievable pain, unbelievable mockery, an illegitimate court, because you're worth it. God still pursues. And so when the questions ask and people look at you, as did Pilate look and say, what is truth? Truth is love that pursues. Truth is love that overcomes. Truth is, what is, is love that does not judge unrighteously. Truth is pursuing us now. Now suppose that question was asked so that an audience in 2018 could ask ourselves, what is truth? What is it? In the midst of the pain, hurt, disillusionment, depression, anxiety, disillusionment of life, what is truth for you? What is it for you? What is it for you? Truth is that he is pursuing you right now. A scourging could not stop him. An execution could not stop him. A beating and mockery and ungratefulness could not stop him from his pursuit of you. As an unbeliever, there has to come a time in your life when you have to reflect and ask yourself, what is truth? As a believer, there has to come a time in your life when you have to ask yourself, 
do I still hold on to that truth? And those other truths that have seemed to have moved into your life, put away those functional saviors and allow yourself to be caught. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your truth. That, Lord, in the midst of so many questions we have amongst ourselves and our own heart, asking ourselves, is there anything out there that could fix me? Lord, the truth is yes. And the truth is to be found in you. Thank you, Father, that you still call those to you. And there be those in here who may not believe, may have never been a believer. But Father, there's a calling. And that pull is one that is none other than you. And Father, while we can't always grasp everything, there's just a fundamental core of truth. And that truth is you love us and you pursue us. Lord, thank you for the way you still rescue us from ourselves, from others, from circumstances and consequences. Thank you for being that truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.